The End of the Earth by Ellie Bronowich and Colin Resnick. Oh my gosh, I have sunburn all over my body and my skin is on fire. It's about 98 degrees outside and my friends Jennifer and Robbie are forcing me to stay out here. I mean, we are in Tallahassee, Florida, but it is scorching outside. It was hot enough to scale a lizard. I was trying to get my parents to bring us all to the beach for the day to cool off, but they said it was too far. We played all day until around 6.30, our parents called us inside to come watch the news. On the news, it said that there were meteor fragments hurling past Earth, and it would be a great show. Our parents agreed that we could have a sleepover and watch a shower. We would sleep outside the tent. We all shouted, yeah, we have never had a sleepover outside before. I wonder what it's going to look like. I've never seen a shooting star before, Robbie commented. It's a meteor, stupid, and I know for a fact it will be so cool, I responded. Come on, Michael, Jennifer uttered. It was an honest mix-up, though I do agree that it will be extraordinary. Meanwhile, we were sent a message that said, NASA tried to get the meteor closer to Earth for enjoyment purposes, but that didn't go so well. We succeeded in getting it closer, but we got it so close that it is hurtling towards Earth. Once the space station saw this, they sent an alert to everyone in the United States and parts of Mexico. You wanted one of those people. Evacuate your home and get to the military base to get to safety in parts of Europe. The biggest fragment will hit in approximately seven days. Move to the bunker as soon as you can. We needed to get to the military base. We were very lucky because a meteor wasn't said to be that big yet, but it was supposed to do a lot of damage near southern parts of the United States and some damage near northern parts of Mexico. Also, there was a base only an hour away from our house, so we would be able to get there very soon. There were going to be planes there that would take us to bunkers in the places surrounding the United States. We grabbed all of our clothes and all of our food and water. We decided that we were going to probably be there for a while. Once we got all of our supplies together, we hopped in the car and we were on our way. We thought it was only going to be 50 minutes driving, a whopping 70 miles an hour, but we made a big mistake. We got stuck in traffic, and we did not take account for all the other people. So we were stuck. It ended up being four hours until we got there. Are we going to die, Jennifer cried? No way. We're already at the base, and once we get to one of the bunkers, we will be safe, shouted my dad. We are going to be fine. Then we saw the first part of hell coming down to Earth. There were massive streaks of flames coming down from the sky, burning up in our atmosphere. The sky was as fiery as lava from a volcano. Speaking of lava, there were giant magma balls speeding right towards Earth, and before they even touched down, we were able to seek shelter. Thank God. The bad news is that instead of hitting us, it hit our one-way ticket out of here. The planes. Everyone started scattering and looking for a place to go. They looked like bugs running away after someone lifted up the rock they were living under. Screams were heard, but my parents sternly told us to stay calm and stay together. The power was out because the asteroids knocked into the power cables, knocking them all out. We were lucky enough to be, to be able to have blankets to sleep with. My mom and dad stayed up all night taking turns, watching and waiting to stop any of that one that was going to try to steal our supplies. Fortunately, our parents were able to not fall asleep on their ships. Then we heard a loud voice from the top corner of the room giving everyone in this facility an announcement. We were able to salvage a plane and 150 people were able to board. Get there as soon as possible to get on. Me and my friends were ready to get on because, and we were so excited. But then my mom whispered, we will not be going on a plane because me and Mr. Pratter want to let the others get on the plane. We have another idea. So we did not get on the plane and we were stuck inside the military shelter. The word spread that most planes, will, they will be 89% fixed, but not 100% safe. So board at your own risk. 
You will be leaving tonight at 11 p.m. If you are late, you will not be able to go. My parents said in a hushed tone that once again, we will not be going because the most important thing is for us to be safe. That night, my parents made us leave and, and we left and went to our, my uncle's house. He worked for a veterinary office and he had a ton of money, but I did not suppose he could help us. Once we got there, we ran into the beige house with stucco siding and a black front door. We knocked on the door and he let us in and led us to the backyard where there were about 30 other people, including my grandma and my grandpa. My uncle opened the garage door and there was a private jet. He stood in front of the whole entire crowd and shouted, I will be taking you all to the bunkers in Mexico. We all cried in joy about being able to go without any harm and no risk. 20 minutes later, we were all on side of the planes and we were all ready to fly. Me and my mom ran to the pilot cabin and my uncle was having a heart attack. He fell to the ground and died before anyone could help. Johnny, my mom screeched. Wake up, wake up, don't leave me now. He's gone, Mom, I said in tears. I know you're sad, but we need to continue on our journey. She got in the plane sobbing. I'm sorry for your loss, Jennifer told her. He was a really good man. My mom got into the pilot seat because thankfully she knew how to fly a plane because her brother taught her. Is it working, my mom informed me. What do you mean it doesn't work? I said in shock. I mean, the engine works, but the plane is stuck. Let me look outside to see what the problem is, Jennifer chimed in. Jennifer walked outside to see to see what happened. She was taking a long time, so I decided to go out and outside and check on her. Jennifer, did you? I saw her crying, so I stopped talking. Are you okay? I asked. She replied, I have to stay back to fix the wiring. Why? Can't you just take it off and we can go? She cried, no, once I repair it, we'll take off and I'll be outside watching to see if it works. She continued, if I fix it right, then you'll be on your way, but I won't. I screamed, I'll refuse to leave if you can't, crying now too. I need to find Michael, tell my parents I love them, she said crying. After a long talk with Jennifer, I walked onto the plane without her. That's when the plane took off without warning. I was never going to see one of my best friends again. Where's Jennifer? Robbie asked. She's gone, I responded. Whoosh! The plane took off. She's gone! I yelled while crying hysterically. She's the only reason us and the 50 others on the plane are still alive. Why didn't you stop her? Robbie asked. She had no choice, I explained. It was either us or her, and she was brave enough to die from the 60 people on this plane. We all started to cry, including her and our parents. We had to keep it together, though. We had a long plane ride ahead of us, 17 hours and 30 minutes. I managed to fall asleep, although having all of those bad thoughts about Jennifer. Once I fell asleep, my imagination showed me. Jennifer trying to jump onto the plane as we were leaving, but one of the bad neighbors kicked her off and kicked her right in the face. She bounced right off and smacked the ground in one loud thunk. There was blood all over and she was dead. That snapped me out of my dream and I got scared out of my skin. I was not able to sleep again, and they just played on my iPhone. I went up to the cabin on the plane and asked my mom how she was doing. She responded, okay, I guess. I feel very bad about Jennifer. I am sorry for your loss, Mikey. I am also very tired from staying up for basically two straight days. I responded, yeah, but when we get back, she could still be alive. Then we went on in silence. It was so quiet, I could hear a pin drop. It was 5 a.m., and I still had two days left to fly, and I managed to fall asleep. When I was sleeping, I started to see visions of good and happy thoughts. The meteor missed Earth and everyone was okay. When we went back to Florida, Jennifer was right there waiting for us. I ran over and I hugged her and we played all day. 
The dream felt so realistic that when I awoke, I actually thought I was there. I stood right up thinking Jennifer thinking Jennifer was the seat, so I held the seat. I made a complete fool of myself. Everyone started to laugh, but I figured it was okay because everyone needed a good laugh in this crazy time. Robbie's mom was just watching Netflix when she got a news alert that said NASA was just studying the biggest fragment when they found out it was an extinction-level event that could wipe out humanity. After studying, they found out the fragment would hit in about nine days instead of seven. Everyone stopped traveling to the outskirts of USA like Europe. Get to the most secure facility in India. We all were shocked, and I told my mom the news. She said that we were heading to India. Do you guys remember the plane we could have went on to Europe, Robbie asked? It just got hit by a fragment from the asteroid. Are you serious, I commented. Yes, Robbie responded. I saw it on the news by a reporter that was riding on the plane. Thank God we didn't get on, I said, yeah. Speaking of the asteroid fragments, there's one heading right towards us, my mom yelled. My mom ran out of the pilot's cabin and asked, and said, let's go. So she grabbed parachutes and gave one to everyone. The plane was soaring down, and if we did not get out soon, we all were going to die. Tell everyone to jump, my mom screamed. So I did, and we are all going down to the ground. While we were, the plane blew up right in front of us. Woo! Thank God everyone had a good parachute. Got to the ground and we landed in the water. No one knew exactly where we were, but all we knew is that we were in some place around India. So we started to tread water, but we knew we were not going to be able to stay swimming for a long time with elderly people. My mom yelled to my dad, grab the wooden planks. What are we going to do now? I yelled. One week and two days until it strikes. With all the rope and wood, we made a raft. After going for a while, we saw land, so we paddled to, over to it. It took us about an hour to get there. But then we encountered a huge problem. It was North Sentinel Island. That was the most dangerous island in the world. It was as dangerous as teasing a hungry lion in the forest. People there were so behind in the century, they kill everyone that goes near them. We stayed crawling, attempting not to be noticed. We saw some of the islanders, and we crouched down the bush so they wouldn't see us. We, we needed a way to blend in so that we didn't get caught. We saw some of the tribes closed, and we quickly, uh, quickly put them on and went in. We went into the village and we saw some of the little huts and we entered the small hut and we saw a family that were just staring at us. They spoke in a different language. What was that? Robbie whispered. Robbie whispered. They speak a different language. Don't forget we're not from here. Be quiet, I answered. We nodded our heads and walked backwards out of there. We ran into the woods and hid once again. We just wanted to stay out of view with no risk. They had very good weapons, and if they found out we were outsiders, we would be screwed. We wanted to make a shelter to get away from the people so we could have our own conversation. We heard footsteps coming our way. The people came, walked over to us and poked us with sticks and surrounded us with guards. We screamed, screamed Umi Barak Tayani Nuni. We just crawled out of there not knowing what to do and stood staring at them. They motioned to come back, and they brought us to dinner. All the people sat at one long table make, make, uh, made out of logs. Once we settled in, may I mention was very hard to do, we ate dinner with the locals. Ew, Robbie complained. What is this? I don't know, I responded. We silently ate, even though we weren't pleased with what we were eating. The person right next to them, gave, right next to us, gave us a funny look. He said, Oui, Pandu, c'est ma comme moi. We shook our heads, not knowing what to do, and just focused on our food. 
After we ate, we settled in and hit the hay. Once we woke up, we began to get ready for departure. We finished. Uh, we fished for lobsters and crabs, then got our clothes ready to leave. We packed all of our bags, loaded them onto a huge motorboat, and then we were off. But did but that did come with a challenge. The people started throwing weapons at us and shooting us. Luckily, none of them hit us. That was our last initial fear, and we were glad we were off the hook. Six days later. Mom, I am bored, I moaned. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. We are still 500 miles out. Okay, I said. I drowsed while I was on the seat. I dreamt about Jennifer at my uncle's house, and it had just got hit by a meteor, and she was trying to claw her way out. She screamed, help, help. Then someone walked right up to her and shot her. I awoke breathing very heavily and practically screaming, not being able to fall back asleep again. If I had one wish, it would be to see her again, even for one moment. The next morning, we woke up, and surprisingly, I got amazing sleep. Although I had one bad dream and woke up in the middle of the night. Mom announced, we will be at land in one hour and ten minutes. Be ready. So I went over to my bag and started to pack all the things I could inside. I put in flashlights, canned food, water, and clothing, just in case we'll be in there for a while. Then Robbie trudged over and observed that I was sad and whispered to me, Dude, are you okay? Ever since Jennifer died, you have been acting very mopey. I responded, No, actually, I'm not. You and Jennifer are my best friends, and I never want to let you guys go. So I'm very, you know, depressed. Then we saw land, so I grabbed my bag, and I was ready to jump. But just before the boat bounced off the shore, we all jumped. Clump. Once we got off the boat, we started to find our way to the bunker. On the way, we were walking through the woods. We spotted a Bengal tiger. What the bleep is that? Robbie screamed. Shut up, you buffoon. It might hear you and run towards us in aggression, I told him. Sorry. What is that, though, Robert whispered. It was an Indian Bengal tiger, his mom chipped in. I don't like that language, young man. Sorry. It is okay, but just don't do it again, she said. His mom was really good with animals, so she told us to slowly back away and then run in the opposite direction. Once we got away, Robbie saw a huge mountain, and we, he wanted to climb up there to see if we could find the bunker. And we did. So we ran down as fast as we could. It was in clear sight when I tripped on a rock and started tumbling down. I told my mom, I think I twisted my ankle. Can you walk? My mom asked. I'll try, I responded. It was getting close to dark again, so we found a little cave and slept in there, even though it was very uncomfortable. When we awakened, me and my mom actually somehow found the bunkers, so we opened up the metal door and hopped in. There were 15 others in the bunker with us, so I had to be carried down because of my ankle, which hurt tremendously. Mom said that she was going to look at it closer tomorrow morning. We were all very drowsy, so we agreed that we should go to sleep, and it was good for all of us to gain some energy, too. We had to set an alarm, though, because the meteor is coming at 11 o'clock tomorrow. It was the next morning, and the meteor was about to come, and let me tell you, it was nerve-wracking. One hour until it came, and I was thinking a lot about Jennifer, because except this and the boat ride were the only times I could really think about it. Then my mom walked over to me and asked, How are you doing? I responded, Okay, I guess. My ankle is killing me. Can you please check it out? She answered, Yeah, you don't want the injury to get worse. Plus, it is a good time to... So she started to feel around and answered it her. I said yes every time. That was probably not a good sign. She came to the conclusion that it was broken, and I wasn't allowed to move around. Then, we started to feel a shake. Hang in there, everyone, a military guard announced. The ground started to shake like an earthquake, but a hundred times worse. Then, we heard it. Kaboom!
Once we heard that, we knew all hell broke loose. Wham, bang, pow, the meteor hit. We all thought that we were going to die. Meanwhile, the Earth was being engulfed in flames. The USA was getting shredded to pieces. The meteor was vaporizing everything in its path. It was devastating. And before we knew it, everything was lava. And if not on fire, and if not lava, it was on fire. No one survived except us and the 15 others in the bunker, since we were two miles deep into the ground. Everything was gone. Nine months later, the military guard reported it was safe to go outside and go see the damage because all the ash was clearing up and the lava was fully dried into stone. I was uh, always feeling nervous, excited, and sad all at the same time. It was almost like the first day of school. We haven't seen the outside in nine months because, well, you know what happened. We stepped outside and I broke down in tears. All of what used to be rainforest with birds, tigers, and bears was now all burnt ash with the remains of animals. All the small islands, or just islands, were ripped up because of the shockwave. I was devastated. I saw all of the land I once loved before me turned to dust and ash. There were no more animals, humans, and plants whatsoever. We were lucky that we made it with 15 others. The people that were left actually were architects, scientists, doctors, and archaeologists. What are we going to do? One of the people said, no clue, another chimed in. I was also very lost, so I looked at my mom, and she had this twisted look on her face like she had an idea. Well, my mom contributed. We could use some of the materials in a bunker for breaking the rocks, then assemble a house with the cement and use the beds in the bunker for the beds in our home. We can make a civilization. And how are we going to do that, someone asked. We are all smart people, and plus we have an architect. She has a point, Rocky has knowledge. Well, we took it upon ourselves to start a city as best we could. We went completely rogue. The rocks were very thick and hollow, so we could chop with the next season. We planned to build up little houses so we can make someone to live. We made the lava rock into blocks, and then we went inside. There was no food and water, so that would be very hard for us to survive for long. We made a single house, and we were very confident. For the first time in nine months, we were happy. Even though we had a place to live in, we aren't going to stop here. We are going to form a huge civilization like the ancient Egyptians or ancient Indians, like I learned in school. 20 years years later, and in other words, present day. Hey kids, how's your day? I asked. Good, answers Maya. Okay, Calvin responds. Amazing, I learned so many new things, Jennifer replied. It reminds me so much of her every every time you talk. Who? Jennifer asked. I never told you about Jennifer, I exclaimed. She's an intelligent, kind, brave, and smart human being. She's why I named you Jennifer. Did you know that we wouldn't have been alive if she didn't save us back then? What did she do? Jennifer questioned. She went out of the plane that day and sacrificed her life to save the 23 people that existed to start this new world. If she didn't, you wouldn't have existed. Wow, Jennifer said. You must have been a really, she must have been a really special person. She really was, I responded whimpering. It was really worth it because of her, I grew up to have three beautiful kids and my amazing wife, Tanya, and a population of 500 people. That includes Robbie and his wife, Michelle, and his two kids, Jack and Matthew. We have really developed our civilization too because of my mom. Now we have a giant culture built off of two women, my mom and Jennifer. Without them, we wouldn't have had any of this and all life on earth would be gone. Thank God we had them. 
Now that's the end. We hope you enjoyed. And thanks for listening. This is The End of the Earth by Elliot Bronowich and Colin Bresnick. See ya!